Good morning and welcome back to our daily devotion podcast. Today we want to take a glimpse at what the resurrection of the dead looks like. It's a very big, very large topic and we, there are passages all over the place that gives us, give us hints of what the resurrection of the dead is. Today's passage just gives us a little glimpse of one aspect of resurrection of the dead. This aspect has to do with marriage on the one hand, but more than that, it has to do with love, loving God and loving our neighbour. Let's look at the passage. It's taken from Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 to 40. Matthew 22, verse 23 to 40. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Sadducees, people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they wanted to test Jesus and to, and to, in a sense, destroy Jesus' teaching that there is resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed also that there was resurrection from the dead. But the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They were a sect of Jews that were more hedonist. Enjoy your life now because there is none after you die. And to bolster the argument, they gave a hypothetical question that was sure to defeat anyone who believed in the resurrection of the dead. The question was this, if a woman married seven times, not illegally, but because each of her husbands and the the first husband died and his brother then was bound by law to marry her so that there would be offspring if the second brother died and the third brother died and all seven died and then the woman woman herself died. 
then in heaven she would have seven husbands and how can that logically be the Sadducees thought that they had won that argument what they did not know was that the, the resurrection of the dead was nothing like what they had imagined Jesus said let me first convince you that there is a resurrection of the dead look at what God says in the Bible I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he is not the God of the dead but of the living basically Jesus was saying that God describes himself in the present tense I am the God of Abraham and so if God was God of the dead he wouldn't have used the present tense but because Abraham Isaac and Jacob are still alive God describes him as their God in the present tense. And so having put that aside, Jesus then dealt with this hypothetical of the woman with seven husbands. What, who would be her husband? Jesus then said that in heaven, there will be no getting married. There will, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Jesus, in effect, took down the institution of the marriage in the afterlife. These are two things we can learn from it. First, that there will no longer be a reproductive or sexual function of marriage. None of those seven men will continue to be the husband of this woman. Basically, there will not be a need for reproduction, so um, no marriages, will be needed but secondly that there will not be any exclusivity none of those seven men will be the husbands of this woman and so there's no longer any exclusive possession of this woman by any of the men in effect Jesus was saying that the institution of marriage will no longer exist in the resurrection of the dead what then can we say about marriage? Should we then say that because it is something of an earthly institution, it is not that important? What then are we married on earth for? Why then are we called to be faithful on earth when in heaven there won't be any marriage anymore? It will be dissolved. What of husbands and wives? What of those we love so dearly a couple that's deeply in love, husband and wife deeply in love, does that mean that it no longer exists? Well, Jesus says that they will be like angels. He doesn't explain what angels are like, so we're left to guess. What happens to happily married people when they both get to heaven? And why then is the institution of marriage still important on earth when there is it doesn't exist anymore in heaven well let's put this aside for a while and we look then at what happened after that well after jesus had explained this to the sadducees says that sadducees were silenced and then the pharisees their rivals got into the act one of them an expert in the law tested jesus with this question which is the greatest commandment in the law? You see, we continue this debate 
all the time. Is there a hierarchy of laws? What's the most important? What's the second most important? What's the third most important? We wonder whether there is an order of sin, an order of commandments that are more important than others. The corollary of that, of course, is that there are there sins that are more serious than others. Is there also a gradation of sins? One is more grievous than another. This teacher of the law, this expert on the law, was all ready for a debate of Jesus. What could Jesus say? Instead of naming one of the laws, one of the Ten Commandments, for example, and saying this is the most important, Jesus instead, in a way, summarized the laws, the commandments, and the prophets. And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest. The second is this, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, Jesus wasn't picking one command. Jesus was changing the entire paradigm. There is no such thing as you obey this command and you're better off. There is no such thing as you disobey that command and you suffer greater punishment. There is no gradation at all. The only important two commandments are this, these. First, that you love God with everything that you have, your soul, mind, strength, all that you have. It isn't about obeying one command, obeying this command or that command. It's not about one sin, avoiding one sin or another sin. It is a wholehearted giving of yourself to God, wanting to please God in every way, loving God in every way. It's not about sinless perfection. It is about giving of ourselves to God out of love. Now, the command to love God with everything we have is a paradox. It is very much a contradiction in terms. You cannot command a person to love. You see, a commandment comes with a deterrent. It comes with a threat of punishment. When, you, when I say I command you to do this, implied in that is a threat that if you fail to do it, I will punish you. And punishment has to do with fear. The power of a punishment is the fear of the punishment. And therefore, when I'm commanded to do something, the side of it, one side of it says, yes, sure, you'll be rewarded if you obey. But if you disobey, you will be punished. But how do you love out of fear of punishment? It's impossibility. It's impossible to say to God, God, I love you so much because if I don't love you, you're going to punish me. It's simply not possible. Now, this is what John, the apostle, learned from Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Fear has to do with punishment. It is the sanction against you. It is a threat of a punishment that makes us do something. And if we were called to love God, then that we cannot be threatened 
with a punishment. Think of it. None of us can love God out of a fear of punishment. Let me share with you a statement that someone who represents maybe many uh, young agnostics and atheists and Christians who have come round to knowing God. This is what he said. If God told me not to do something on pain of death, on pain of punishment, or if God said I must not, I'm not allowed to do, commit a sin because I will go to hell, I will not obey God. I will continue to disobey and commit that sin. Why? Because I think that God is a bully. He forces me to think, do things against what I want. But if, on the other hand, I were told or I knew that even if I committed sin, even if I did the worst thing, God still loves me and embraces me, then I will willingly give up that sin because I will be so grateful to God that despite my unworthiness, despite my messing up of my life, despite my doing things that clearly offend God and hurt God, God will not take it out on me, but He will embrace and love me. And for that very reason, I will give up anything, any sin. I will do anything for such a God. This person who said it is a fervent Christian. But he is a fervent Christian because he knows the love of God. He knows that whatever he has done, whatever he does, God does not walk out on him. And for that reason, he's willing to give up everything for his God. How then do we love God with everything we have? I think first of all, we must get to know God. Unless you get to know God more and more, you cannot love Him. I'm often very disheartened and saddened when people talk about God in such terms that clearly reflect the ignorance of Him. You can't love God unless you know God. And this is what I hope for Agape Methodist Church, that our aim in, for this church, our vision for this church, is that we keep on knowing God. It is when we keep on wanting to know God and keep pressing on to know God that we see how wonderful and beautiful He is and then we love Him more and more. When we see how He forgives our sins, how He welcomes us, no matter how sinful we are, it is then that we are willing to say, My God, I'm willing to give up anything, including all my sins, because you have loved me despite my sinfulness. But the second thing about loving God is that we love God by loving our neighbour. Which is why Jesus says, and the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. It is like the first. And this is what John, the evangelist John, says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so, one way, actually the only way we can really love God and demonstrate our love for God 
is when we love one another. Because when we love one another with all our faults, all our idiosyncrasies, all our horrible bits, all our need for forgiveness, it is when we learn to love one another that we can express our love for God. One cannot love God and hate one's brother because loving God is, at the end of the day, still a very abstract idea. You can't love someone you have not seen, you do not see, you cannot see. You can only love someone who is tangible, whom you can see, touch, be hurt by, be offended by, maybe feel like hating, and yet you love. It is in doing so that we express our love for God. And so back to marriage. Is marriage then an unimportant institution because it will not exist in heaven anymore? On the contrary, a marriage is so much, so important. This is not to say that the singles miss out on something. But it is to say that when you are married, you have a training ground right in front of you. Many of us find it very hard to love our husbands and our wives. We struggle, we wonder why on earth we married this person. We long sometimes to be rid of it, either through divorce or through death. But you know, marriage is one of the best institutions to learn what it means to love your neighbour. To learn what it means to love when they find it so hard to love. You see, when you were married, when God heard you make your vows, He saw hope in your love, in our marriage. He saw that there was hope despite all the differences, all your idiosyncrasies, how strong a characters you have, you are. He saw that it is possible for you to love one another. And as long as you stay married, He wants us to keep believing that we can love one another. It's about the most tangible test there is. Otherwise, when we just say love everyone, that's very abstract and it's actually loving nobody. Even those who are singles have to love people concretely. A brother, a sister, a parent, a nephew, a niece, a friend, an enemy. There must be concrete, real people that we learn to love. And in a marriage, that concrete, real person is your husband or your wife. Despite it being difficult to love them, God believes that you can. And in God's strength and by God's Spirit, you can learn to love. So for each of you who finds great difficulty loving your husband or wife, just try this simple prayer. Say, God, help me to love my husband. Help me to love my husband or my wife from my heart. And then help me to see the beautiful things, beauty and goodness in my partner. And help me to forgive all those times they have offended me. That's a very difficult thing, but take time. Take time even to think of things that they have done to offend you and then ask God to heal 
that wound to help you to forgive. You can't do it yourself, it's humanly impossible. But if you were to commit these things to prayer and to God, and to simply say, God, teach me to love, God will help you and He will pour His love into your heart. But you're not doing this out of a fear of punishment. There is no penalty for not loving. The only penalty is that you don't know how to love and you would not have learned how to love. At the end of the day, each of us becomes an angel. And I believe then that the chief characteristic of angels is that they are always before the throne of God, loving God. And they have learned to love God when they have learned to love one another. Let us pray. Father, prepare us for heaven. It is such a difficult, difficult task on earth to be prepared for life in heaven. But Lord, you give us hope. You, you are God of love and you teach us how to love. We pray for each of us Day by day, you may teach us how to love our neighbours, to love our brothers and sisters, to love one another. And in so doing, we may learn how to love you. Father, I pray, especially for married couples, couples who remain married. Some are struggling with their marriages, some are enjoying their marriages. I pray that for each of us, you will teach us to love our spouses. And for those who have been widowed, Lord, those who have loved their spouses so much, they're longing to see them again. We assure them that love never ends. That while everything else, faith and miracles and tongues and prophecies end, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. That as much as they have loved their spouses on earth, even in heaven, even when there is no longer an institution of marriage, their love will remain strong when they are reunited. Speak, Lord, your truths to us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a good, have a blessed day and God bless you. Goodbye.